This is VLX number 92, Beaten by the Waves. This is Matthew 14, verses 22 through 26. God give you his peace, and omni patri sefiti, spiritu sancti, amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In omni patri sefiti, spiritu sancti, amen. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So as you probably know, my name is Father David Nix. This is the Padre Peregrino podcast. VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina, as most of you know. You know, I just found this out. If you put in Video Lexio Divina into Google Translate, have on the left Latin and the right English, it will translate it into, I see the divine reading. Isn't that interesting? Video is first person present, I see. And as you probably know, Lexio Divina means divine reading. So just found this out. If you pop into Google Translate Video Lexio Divina, it will tell you, I see divine reading. Okay, so remember, in the last VLX before today, that was VLX 91, Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 pilgrims. Pilgrims because they were there to see him. And he fed them miraculously with just originally what was five small loaves and two fish. And these people had walked there on basically uh, this retreat to see him, but he himself was on this prayer retreat originally to probably get away from everybody on the news of the death of John the Baptist, his cousin. Okay, so here he feeds them all, and then he dismisses the crowds to go back home. It's evening. He worked miracles, healing them all, all evening. So many of their sick had been healed, and they're fully satisfied. I forgot to tackle that uh, in the last VLX, that not only do they have full bellies, but St. Matthew then adds in verse 20 that they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. Well, okay, on the way there, Jesus had the boat. This is to get to the last scene, last VLX. Jesus was in the boat. I think it was headed east, if I have my geography right. Well, today it's the opposite. Today in VLX 92, we're going to see them all move back west to Israel. But this time on foot, Jesus is basically going to skim the southern edge of the Sea of Galilee. Now, why does he dismiss the crowds first? Father Lapide says this, Christ did this because he wished to go apart that he might pray more quietly and urgently alone, as is plain from the following verse, and also, too, that he might in this way more easily escape from the crowd who he knew would wish to make him a king because he had multiplied and distributed the loaves, as John 6.15 shows, same event in John 6. And number three, that he might give an occasion for the miracle which followed his calming the tempest at sea. So first, Jesus is going to get the disciples going on the boat, and then the people on foot, and then he sets about this prayer retreat on the mountain, which I assume is just to the southern side of the Sea of Galilee, so he can actually see the apostles, the disciples. Now, again, maybe this was the original prayer retreat he first set out to do about because of the death of John the Baptist. Well, here we jump into verse 22. It's evening, and again, everybody's fed, they're headed home, and then St. Matthew writes this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. 
Okay, so again, the disciples get in the boat, head west back home, then the people. Jesus got there by boat. He got he got to the set the scene of the miracle, the 5,000 by boat, but he's going to walk home on foot, stopping by the mountain, presumably on the southern shore of the Sea of Galilee, since he's going to see the disciples get into a storm from that location of prayer. Verse 23, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. What a visual to set up. Even if you don't do the imaginative way of prayer, what a visual to set up. The people going home in the evening, it's probably already dark. The disciples just about to get into this storm within, presumably, eye shot of the southern coast of where Jesus is walking, and he's going up this mountain to take a retreat. So there's a lot going on here. Now, honestly, I had debated in my mind uh, putting Jesus walking in water in the same Via Alexis today. In fact, originally I had that, but then I decided, you know, here where we have the disciples almost crash and drown, um, Lapide has so much insight today that I think we're just going to stay with the disciples all day in this horrible event of where they almost died. We're going to see why um, there's some very subtle words in the gospel, but why it's very clear that they almost die according to the fathers. So even though you know that Jesus is going to walk on water, try to place yourselves with the disciples on that boat today without foreknowledge of the miracle that's coming. I really want you to feel the waves, the cold, the terror. Um, and you don't know Jesus is coming to the rescue yet because you haven't seen this miracle yet. If you can just place yourself with the disciples. Okay, now the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Tiberias as it's also called, it is famous for, even to this day, it's famous for unpredictable storms that capsize and drowned even the best of fishermen, even though it looks very calm on a sunny day. I remember the first time I uh, saw the Sea of Galilee, I thought, how are there storms out here? It's very, very peaceful. It's nice. Um, but seasoned fishermen even today will tell you what it can actually turn into. Now, here's an interesting question to ask yourself. Why did Jesus send them on that way if he knew there was going to be this horrible storm in that direction that night? Well, you already know the basic answer is Jesus is God, so of course he knew. And of course, there's, you know, there's some debate as to if demons can cause storms, but regardless of that big question on the demons, we all realize Jesus knew when he dis dismissed the disciples they would face that storm of their lives, as we're going to see from Lapide. Okay, let's talk about this storm in your life. Now, you probably think I'm going to ask you to name that storm in your life like you know, every skinny-jeaned emergent church leader. And I am. I am actually going to have you do that because that's what we should do as we read the Bible. But the difference between just modernists and the ancient Christians is the ancient Christians understood that the storm wasn't just the annoying things people do to you, but they were also your temptations in your life. Um, the storm is not just the things that people do to make you suffer, but also your passions. This is the best quote I've ever read in Father Lapide in this whole series, and it comes from St. Augustine, so listen closely to this amazing quote. St. Augustine writes in Sermon 13 on the words of the Lord according to St. Matthew, For every man his desire is a storm. If you love God, you will walk upon the water. Under your feet is the fear of the world. If you love the world, it will swallow you up. It knows how to devour its lovers, not support them. Yet when your heart wavers with desire, call on Christ's divinity so that you may conquer your desire, end quote. So notice that for St. Augustine, he's saying the storm isn't just what people do to you to annoy you, but it's also your temptations to lust or your temptations to greed or your temptations to gossip. Not just the daily headaches of people who annoy you. It's that too, but really it's your own temptations. In fact, that quote was so good, I decided to memorize just part of it, and we'll come back to it. For every man, his desire is a storm. 
If you love God, you will walk upon water. If you love the world, it will swallow you up. So Jesus is walking home on the southern shore back west, but up on this mountain as the storm breaks. And I want you to picture, picture the crowds are back in bed. They already made it home, or maybe they're almost back after seeing this miracle man who went far beyond their expectations. But it's late. We know from the last VLX that it was already the afternoon. He was healing the sick the whole time. And then we had this miracle that fed them for dinner. And now they have a long walk back home because it took them almost all day. So maybe they're still walking in the middle of the night. But they're not in the picture anymore because Jesus is, while he's both praying on this mountain and can see, not just in his divinity, but also by his human eyes, his best friends, these disciples, getting into those choppy waters out there. I assume this is from Christ's point of view on the mountain, and maybe by moonlight he can see his disciples about to face this storm, because verse 24 reads, But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And there we have the name of today's VLX, beaten by the waves. Or in the Dewey Rhymes Bible, verse 24 is, But the boat in the midst of the sea was tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. So either beaten or tossed. But whether your translation says that that boat was either beaten or tossed, you might want to write above your word, one of those two words, the Greek word, which is basanizomenon. Basanizomenon, spelled B-A-S-A-N-I-Z-O-M-E-N-O-N. One word. Basanizomenon. And that word comes from the word basanos in Greek. B is in beta, B-A-S-A-N-O-S. Basanos in Greek means torture or rack or instrument of torture. Okay, the past participle we have today, that was the Pisanizomeno, and that is defined as to be tortured, or technically it's past participle, having been tortured or having been vexed or harassed or distressed. And finally, the definition in Strong's is those who are at sea struggling with a headwind. Those at sea struggling with a headwind. So it's interesting, it means all of those things, including tortured. Clearly, this is more than a few bumps in the sea that they hit. Okay, how long were they actually out there facing this storm? Well, verse 25 tells us, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The word watch, that doesn't mean like what's on your hand. It means closer to vigil. And the word watch there is fulaki. Father Lapide says this um, about that. He says, The Romans change guard every three hours of the night. So Falaki means watch or guard. The Romans change guard every three hours of the night. These were their watches both in cities and armies. They changed thus frequently lest a longer watch should give occasion to sleep as well as to prevent guile and treachery. And these intervals were called watches or guards. If the night were short, they divided into three watches, if long, into four. So my understanding is basically the first watch was like 9 p.m. to midnight, um, and the second watch was about midnight to 3, and then the third or fourth watch, depending on how long the night was, depending on what time of year it was, would be 3 a.m. to 6 6 a.m. So the third or fourth watch of the night is the very darkest time of the night when you're most tired if you've been up all night, namely uh, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., So again, the word in Greek there for watch, which is just, again, three hours, essentially, three hours of a night, the word for watch in Greek is phulaki. And phulaki doesn't just mean watch or vigil at night. It's actually also the noun for the guard himself. And phulaki even means prison in in ancient Greek. 
In fact, if you Google translate prison into modern Greek, it will come up with the same word, phulaki, or pronounced in modern Greek, phulaki, which I think sounds like a delicious Greek dessert, but no, it's a prison. St. John Chrysostom then says that the Lord came to them in the fourth watch shows that they had been in peril through the night. That the Lord came to them in the fourth watch shows that they had been in peril through the night. Now, some people might say to that, no, it doesn't. It just means the storm came at 3 a.m. How can you possibly prove the storm itself was there all night? Well, that would be a fair question, except here's the thing. This is just where we trust the fathers more than the modernists. Now, I know that might sound like an argument by authority, but it's not. It's not so much an argument by authority as an argument by chronology. As I've said before, the water is coolest and clearest next to the source. The fathers were the friends of the apostles. So the fact they were closer in time to what was passed down um, is one of these reasons we can trust it. Because you see, the oral tradition is not like the telephone game where things can get messed up. No, no, no. In ancient cultures, oral tradition was passed down with surgical precision. Why? Because it was done in group settings. So that if someone got some tiny detail wrong, everyone would jump in and be like, no, 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 that's not how grandpa told that. This is how it is. Several people would come in with the uh, correction. But for us Catholics, we also know that oral tradition actually has the stamp of approval of the magisterium of what is promised to be infallible. And this comes right from 2 Thessalonians 2.15. St. Paul wrote, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Okay, that one line, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, that one line right there shows that the writers of Scripture never intended any future Christians to believe in Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura is, of course, this notion that the only rule of the faith would ever be the Bible. Again, St. Paul. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So letter means the letters of St. Paul, which we, of course, as Catholics, believe those are infallible and, in, and inerrant. And then spoken word, this is the magisterium. This is handed down through the fathers and the popes and the councils. So we can trust, for reasons we don't fully understand, that St. John Chrysostom knew the disciples had battled this storm all night. Not just the storm had come in the fourth watch, which again was around 3 a.m., but really that they had been battling all night. Somehow, St. John Chrysostom knew this. But think of how exhausted, even if the storm only came at 3 a.m., if you were up all night even rowing, just think how exhausted you would be even if you weren't battling storm. But now that we know that they were up all night battling the storm, Father Lapide says this, and they cried out for fear. This confused clamor was elicited by fear, such as is wont to be with sailors when they fall into peril of shipwreck and despair of life. Okay, let's dissect that a bit. These were extremely strong fishermen, and Lapide is saying they basically gave their final yell before death there. At least that's what I assume he meant by despair of life. Those were his words, despair of life. Peril of shipwreck didn't happen, say, every month or even every year to these guys. They really thought it was it for them. Then, verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Contrast those two, Father Lapide and St. Matthew. Father Lapide, this Confused clamor was elicited by fear, such as is wont to be with sailors when they fall into peril of shipwreck and despair of life. St. Matthew, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. 
Then verse 26, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Okay, now the word ghost there in Greek and Latin is the same word. Phantasma. The Greek dictionary says defines this as a mere show, phantasm, specter or spirit, an appearance or an apparition. Phantasma. Now, I'm open to correction on this, but I can't help but think the disciples must have thought Jesus already died in that storm and that he was a ghost because they believed he was a prophet by this point, but I'm not sure they knew he was the second person of the Trinity by now, God himself. Jesus Christ is true, Jesus Christ is true God and true man, but they may not have known that, that he was God yet. St. Augustine again, for every man, his desire is a storm. If you love God, you will walk upon the water if you love the world, it will swallow you up. Okay, yeah, so like the skinny-jeaned emergent church junior pastor, I do want you to name that storm in your life as far as what's annoying you, um, what's making your life hard, but I also want you to name some of those temptations. Place yourself on that boat with the disciples. Feel the impending shipwreck after fighting a storm for six hours and finally giving up. Despair of life. That wasn't my words. That was Father Lapide who studied the fathers a lot more than me. This was it for them. Well, then let's look at the question I asked earlier. Why did Jesus send them on that way if he knew there was going to be a horrible storm in that direction? And this is where it's totally fine. This, isn't, this doesn't make you a megachurch person to ask this question. Why did Jesus let your situation get so bad? Why did Jesus let your situation get to this point? Or an even harder theological question. Let's just go for it. If they've been crying out all night for God... Even if they didn't know Yahweh equals Jesus and Jesus equals Yahweh, then why didn't Jesus, who is Yahweh, why didn't he work a miracle until the very last minute when they thought it was all over? Father Lapide has an amazing answer on this. He says, Christ permitted this so that the disciples might learn to withstand fear and temptations even when these things increased and doubled, and so that the deliverance and consolation that he would soon bring might be that much sweeter to them because of the great desolation, and as it were, despair of being saved that preceded it. For in dire straits, when the matter is on the razor's edge, God immediately helps from on high. Let me just read that one more time. Christ permitted this so that the disciples might learn to withstand fear and temptations, even when these things increased and doubled, so that the deliverance and consolation that he would soon bring might be that much sweeter to them because of the great desolation and, as it were, despair of being saved that preceded it. For in dire straits, when the matter is on the razor's edge, God immediately helps from on high. Now, I had thought of including this section of walking on the water, Jesus walking on the water today, in today's VLX, but I decided to wait till next time because I want you to feel today on that boat, those cold waves, the terror, the impending shipwreck, even when Father Lapide says this despair of life. Because you don't know the miracle's coming yet. I mean, you do, but I don't want you to pretend like you do. And you know, I also think of how many of us, including me, see no hope at the human level in our current situation in church and state. And this isn't just the United States. I know there's a lot of people wondering, is the Calvary coming? And, and we know the Calvary's not coming. But this is what the church fathers actually say about the end of the world on today's um, section in the Bible. St. Jerome says, the military guards and watches are divided into portions of three hours. When then, he says, that the Lord came to them in the fourth watch, this shows that they had been in danger the whole night and that at the end of the night, as in the consummation of the world, that means the end of the world, he would come to help them. 
And then St. Augustine, this is Sermon 14 on the words of the Lord according to St. Matthew. The fourth watch of the night is the last part of the night. One watch consists of three hours, and thus a night has four watches of three hours each. The fourth watch, therefore, is when the night is well nigh finished. Thus, Christ will come at the end of the world when the night of iniquity is over to judge the quick and the dead, end quote. So I'm not saying it's the end of the world. I'm not saying Jesus is going to return soon. I certainly hope he does. But the point is that the end of the world is going to be darkest, and this is unanimous among the fathers. One real quick note just to get you ready for next week with Jesus walking on the water. Father Lapide says this. He says, In the same way Christ, at the time of his birth, assumed the property of subtlety, passing through the closed womb of the Virgin Mother. So remember that the, um, the birth of Jesus was miraculous and Jesus walking on the water was miraculous. You really can't believe in the Bible. You really can't um, be a Christian if you don't believe in miracles. Miracles are central to Christianity. They're not ancillary. Miracles are central to being a Christian. And then just finally, I would encourage you to memorize that line from St. Augustine. For every man, his desire is a storm. If you love God, you will walk upon the water. If you love the world, it will swallow you up. I will put that in the show notes, and please say an Our Father for me. Et benedictio de omnipotentis, Patris et Spiritus Sancti, descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen.